All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa, and this is season five. It of is Shiver, a horror movie podcast. This is uh, this is pretty fantastic. I'm 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 very excited. We're still going, man. Uh, lots of great stuff. Like I know we you like lots of great stuff we've done, and man, looking forward to 2024. It's going to be a good year for it. Yeah, I I think so. And there's there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, either you know for for one reason or another, we we just you know there's there's too much. There's too much good horror, and there's too much bad horror. Yeah. There's too much, uh, and and there's no such thing as too much. But um, we simply don't have enough time, and so uh, so we're we're gonna keep going as long as you'll have us. I think. Um, so uh, so we're here to kick off 2024. Um, with a movie that I think the horror community was very excited about. I think so, in, too. Uh, with, with the announcement uh, of it uh, being official. So in a section that we're calling Nosferacula, um, we're going to talk about The Last Voyage of the Demeter. And this this is a movie that was basically stuck in development hell yeah, for like 20 years, 20 plus years, almost 30 years. And um, I think from from the word go, this is something that piqued my interest because um, have you read Dracula? Oh, yes, I have read Dracula. OK, so uh, Dracula is one of those books that I think if you're a horror fan, fan of movies, fan of literature, fan of anything horror, you have to read this thing uh, just like Frankenstein. Right. You, you've you've got to read these two things because it all goes back to these two books. Um, the chapter that I think got me most in the um, but wait, I need more was the captain's log chapter seven of Dracula. And I'm so happy that we finally get to see the story because in literally no other version of of dracula that i know of do we actually see what happens aboard the demeter so um daniel overview of what's going on here what did you think of the last voyage of the demeter so i was uh well i was seeing something in the theater it may have been when i took my daughter to see uh haunted mansion Mm -hmm. and was the first time i saw the trailer for this and I was like, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, oh, my God, is this finally happening? Right. Because this is one. Yeah, it's been talked about for a long time. You know, there, there's been the idea out there that Last Voyage of the Demeter was going to happen. And I was just slack jawed, just excited this was coming out. And so now I've seen it. I'm about 24 hours removed. And I think that they did a remarkable amount with what is one chapter 
of Bram mm-hmm. Stoker's Dracula, which is a, a footnote in the movie, the uh, Francis Ford Coppola Dracula mm-hmm. movie. You know, the the voyage of getting from Romania to London is just something that just kind of happens. We get the montage with the map and stuff like that. We get the great voiceover. But taking that trip and turning it into a movie like this was great for a lot of different reasons. One of them being, I think we're all kind of bored. Well, not bored, but it's just requels and reboots and things like that are just a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it would have been, it would have been one thing to just go out there and be like, you know what? I'm just going to make a new Dracula, but I'm not going to do something crazy with it. I'm just going to make Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula again, you know? Right. And, and, but they didn't do that. They didn't reboot it that way. This is essentially, this is a, a, a Dracula origin kind of for him yep. being in London, right? Like it, it, it sets the tone for a brand new series of Dracula movies, which is, which is very cool. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I think that um, as we'll get more into the people later, I think that there were some amazing casting choices in this. Yes. I think that, that a lot of the, the whole, I think that there was a great blend of, you know, like horror gore and suspense and tension. I mean, there were one or two moments in this that made me audibly gasp. I just could not believe what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. There's just, I didn't know what to expect of this movie, like quality wise. I knew that I was excited about the story. I knew that this was a character that that I wanted to see more of. I, I knew round about what would happen because I've read it. But this movie, just a scene after scene continued to blow me away. I enjoyed this thoroughly. I liked a lot of the things about it. I think that starting off the way they did where we just we jumped straight into it, where Dracula's already in the box and we're we're loading him onto the ship. We're leaving Romania. We just need a crew. And so we we, you know, they just trust you to know like what you're kind of getting yourself into. However, there's a really interesting element of if you were somebody who just thought who didn't really realize this was a Dracula movie. Right. You could have just seen the trailer, seen a trailer for this, seen a, a poster for this and been like, what is that? That looks kind of scary, mm-hmm. kind of cool. And it and it, you just you get into it and they don't waste a lot of time, like giving you the backstory of Dracula or anything like that. They don't even drop his name until like halfway through the movie. Yeah. And the girl finally comes to and she's talking about the legends of her Romanian town of, of, of Dracula, you know, and so they. They do a great job of not just shoehorning in a ridiculous amount of exposition. And what's great about it is even if you didn't know what this was, the movie still makes complete and total sense. You know, It's not like you had to go into this knowing what took place in Dracula's life before he was put in a box and was shipping himself to London. Right. I think is a genius choice. This movie could stand alone as something that's just great. It could be the gateway to a new Dracula verse, you know, which is what everybody's after, right? It, right. <laughs> I hope not, but yeah. <laughs> it, it could absolutely be that thing, but it also, it just stands as a movie that you don't have to read anything before. And when it's over, you can go, man, that was fun. 
I I think you hit the nail on the head here. Um, this is um, this is I think in its own way a perfect Dracula movie, right? Because if you have seen every version of Dracula, and I mean, I can't say I've seen every one because I'm sure there's one or two that I'm missing, but I'm a gigantic Dracula fan. Um, I mean, I, I go back to Nosferatu and to his present as this one. I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. I've read Dracula multiple times. Um, to me, this stands on its own and yet within the mythology that is in Bram Stoker's novel and all of the movies that have come before because you can shoehorn this into any movie and it works with the exception that in many of the movies renfield is present in uh on the demeter even right. though he's not in the novel um and i think a lot of that goes back to the fact that uh the original dracula play the stage play had renfield and not jonathan harker as right. the person who goes out to Transylvania. And, and I think that that's the beauty of this is that you can adapt this into any Dracula mythology, be it the original one or ones that have been taken and run with, and it works. I am no longer, but was initially dumbfounded by the number of young people, uh, because I, I teach high school, that have never actually... Red Dracula, that one was not surprising to me, yeah. but seen a Dracula movie, never. And yet, everyone knows the legend of Dracula. Dracula has become as pervasive um, as, I don't know, fucking Superman. Yeah. He as really Jesus has. Christ. As Jesus Christ. Let's, let, 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 let's put it like that in terms that no one wants to fucking say, right? He's as, like, Mohammed, uh, Allah, like, these, these are like Names that you know and you know the stories about them, even if you've never read their scripture, right? Um, you know about these dudes, and that's what Dracula is. Yeah, everyone knows the legend of Dracula, and when you reach that level of fame or infamy in in his in his world, um, that's a magical thing. Where now you can really start to play fast and loose, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I see Dracula in there." even if there's only a little bit of Dracula in there. And right. here there's a lot of Dracula and a lot of new stuff and a lot of it's a it's a mishmash of a lot of things that we've seen before made new. And for me that was fantastic because something I read a lot in uh doing some research afterwards and in watching the special features for this what they tried to do and I think they succeeded at is basically do Dracula meets Alien, the yeah. original Alien, <laughs> and and that's exactly what this is, and uh, and that's exactly what it needed to be, because I remember the first time reading this, I was like, "Fuck, what happens on the Demeter?" Because we don't see it, and I remember the very first Dracula movie I ever saw, the Bela Lugosi one. You don't see anything on the Demeter. You see the Demeter when it arrives, and all you see is Renfield having gone mad. And yeah. in, in my opinion, it's the scariest frame in the whole movie is Renfield with that like stark raving mad look in his eyes. Like what the fuck happened? Right. What turned him into that guy that we see in Capsule Dracula into this dude? 
And, and, and I think that they do a really great job of showing us, Hey, this is what happens. And, and it's almost like the rogue one effect where you know what the outcome of the story is, whether or not you've read the novel, because they tell you right at the beginning. And I think that was a brilliant narrative yeah. choice to tell you, like, no one survived. So, yeah. so you're going into this, like, okay, all the, all these motherfuckers are going to die. Fantastic. So now I'm not worried about who's going to survive. I'm worried about what's the goriest way that I'm going to see these people die. And, and I think that that's a brilliant storytelling tactic because now we really get to just sit and wait. And the tension is there because we know that Dracula is going to be on the ship. And we know that he's going to pick these guys off one by one, maybe even two by two. And now it's like, okay, let me see Dracula be a fucking monster. And I think that we saw that in this movie in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah. I think that one thing that they really established here is that idea that, that he is a beast He's not just a man with a thirst for blood. I mean, he is a monster. You're talking, you talk about Dracula just being this ubiquitous thing that everybody kind of, you know, my, my six, uh, six year old, <laughs> going to be seven soon. Uh, my six year old, I say Dracula, he knows he's a vampire. He doesn't know anything about it. He's never actually, seen, but I mean, you know, Dracula showed up in, I'm sure he was in an episode of Teen Titans, you know, like he, he yeah. just, he's, he's everywhere. You what, see, I've been Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, there we go. That hasn't would, seen Hotel there we go. Transylvania. That's where he would know him from. You're <laughs> absolutely right. Hotel Transylvania. So you look at this character like Dracula, and you're all but the the immediate image that you have is is your your Bella Lugosi style, right. your your Hotel Transylvania, right? He's just this like suave dude, pale skin. You can see the sharp teeth. And I love that they never once gave us that. Mm -hmm. What they gave us was this is a thing like quit romanticizing Dracula, which as much as I love Bram Stoker's, I mean, mm -hmm. it does. It romanticizes the entire idea of being Dracula. I mean, that's part of the excitement of good vampire movies, right? Hell, Stephanie yeah. Meyer built an entire empire on it at this point, right? Yeah. Is, is romanticizing the idea of the vampire. This is one of the first vampire movies and dracula movies to go the complete opposite way they gave us a character in dracula in this movie that there is nothing redeeming about right and so they they made him a monster and that is something that i think is 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 kind of is necessary right now if you're gonna stand out because a friend of the show michael hunger he did uh he was doing like horror movie trivia or something back in October and had this list of things that were, it was like characters who have had the most horror movies about them. Right. And Dracula was light years beyond anybody else. Mm -hmm. Like he was quizzing us in our group chat about like the top 10 and Dracula. It was like, there's, if you count like hotel Transylvania and all of those types of things as Dracula properties, he was at 120, 150, something like that. Then, yeah. you know, that before we got out of the top five, we were like, well, Saul's had 10, you know, like, <laughs> and so it was, you know, this is a character who has been done over and over and over again, and they still managed to breathe some fresh air into it. So as we continue to talk about just what they did with this movie and the fact that they redid him, let's talk about the reimagining of Dracula. Voyage of the Demeter takes this image of everything that we were just talking about and says, you know the name Dracula? The fuck you do. <laughs> let's get 
to it. So what about this version of Dracula, of this particular Dracula story, made this worthwhile for you? I um, I go back to the idea that this is the Rogue One of horror movies. Um, if you if you've seen A New Hope, you get you know the scroll at the beginning that tells you uh, the plans to the Death Star have been stolen, and they need to get those plans to the uh, to the rebels. Right? How did they steal those plans? You know that's and that's what happens here. Chapter seven of Dracula is Dracula leaves Castle Dracula in Transylvania. He gets to Varna and takes a ship called the Demeter to London. And there's a newspaper clipping that Mina Harker has put in her journal that talks about how the ship has been found with no survivors and no one knows what happened to the ship except for the log of the captain. And the captain's log starts in... Um, like uh july and it ends in august and there's roughly 10 entries and we get just this guy disappeared this other guy right. disappeared this guy says he saw something this other guy said he saw something else i think i saw something and then it's over and yeah. it's like what the fuck happened aboard the demeter you know <laughs> and because it's because it's so vague no movie has ever really tackled what happened aboard the demeter but it's such a it's it's an important part of the story because how do you get Dracula from Transylvania to England? It it has to be aboard ship and it has to be aboard the Demeter. And something has to happen for the people of England to know something is wrong. Right. Right. Uh, of, of course, they don't pay attention, but they sh we as the audience now know something is wrong. It was a it, it was a plot device. In the same way that the stealing of the Death Star plans was a plot device, but it left anyone who has read Dracula with this sense of, I want to know what happened. What what did Olgarin see? Right. What what happened to Petrovsky? You know, and these are all characters that appear in like one line in, yeah. in the book. The beautiful thing is that. Because we only know the names of Captain Elliot and Olgarin and Petrovsky, every other character, and they tell us that you know there's there's five deckhands, there's the the first mate, second mate, and then the captain. So we know how many crew members we need to have. Right. They give us that. They give us that, and because there's guys that just go missing, we don't know what ends up happening to these guys. Right. Uh, and, and and I think that that's how you can explain that characters like Clemens end up just escaping. Right. Right. Uh, it's how the presence of Anna, the stowaway, is there. It's how the presence of Toby uh, played masterfully by Woody Norman, who we sung his praise to no end when we talked about cobweb as soon as i yep. saw him and i'm like fucking cobweb this kid was great i can't wait to see him in this yeah um it's how you explain the presence of these characters there because we have so little it's filling in the gaps and it's filling in the gaps in its own particular way which is this is basically a monster that's picking off the crew of this ship one by one and they even go to like some length to explain why it is that he's rationing his food, you know? And, and, and I, I love the way that, that Anna explains that he's like, he's rationing, 
Mm-hmm. And then they all look at each other like, what are you talking about? And then the light goes off in Clemens. The way that this movie progressed was unlike, I think, most horror movies that you get today. It is a slow burn in its own particular idiom. You don't see this a lot in this kind of movie. You see a lot in murder mysteries, but not in straight up horrors. And it is in its own way, something like a classic detective story. This could have been a Sherlock Holmes story. This could have been a Hercule Poirot story. And I would have said, yeah, I'm here for it. In fact, I I saw The Haunting in Venice recently, and that is one of the best horror movies I think I've seen in a long time. And it's not even really a horror movie. Yeah, it's way high on my queue right now. It, it is really, really good. And I'm a fan of those movies. Um, loved um, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Express loved uh, Death on the Nile. And this, I think, blows them all out of the water. But uh, this movie, I think, it, it takes its it, it takes its, it, its its footing from the literature. And it says, yeah, Nosferatu is great. So maybe let's take a little bit from here. And uh, yeah, the 1930 Dracula is great. So let's take a little from here. Christopher Lee's great. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it says, you know what? Let's just fucking do our own thing. So you see little bits here and there of all that stuff. But really what you're actually seeing is Bram Stoker. You're seeing Bram Stoker done really for the first time since Coppola. Right. And and we're talking about like at this point, it's been 30 fucking years since since uh, since Bram Stoker's Dracula came out. So um, as far as story goes, I think that this story works so well as um, we, we talked about this when we did Dr. Sleep. It works fantastically as an adaptation of a work of literature, but also fits into you name a movie universe for Dracula. It fits into that as well. Yeah, I think that that last thing you said is one of the coolest things about the way that they did this is you could decide that this is, you know, that, the, yeah, that this is the Christopher Lee's, this is the hammer mm-hmm. horror uh, Dracula. And you go, well, yeah, I mean, it still makes sense. He still had to get there, right? This is, okay, well, this is the the section of, of, Cop- of Coppola's that fell out, still mm-hmm. fits. I think that they did an amazing job of telling a story that fits into any of that, which is ridiculously impressive right but it also stands as something where it's like but this also feels new Mm -hmm. this also feels fresh which is something that's really hard to do with vampires in general let alone the vampire (laughs) when you're talking about dracula right i mean because we've all seen different mood you know uh lost boys comes out and he gives us you know gives us a little bit of different a little bit different oh it's just like they're like 20 year old punk kids right and it's like but they're vampires you know everybody's done little things here and there and and sometimes they work sometimes they don't sometimes we get Mm. that uh movie what was it dracula 2000 you know i mean bad ones happen too right Right. yeah (laughs) yeah we we don't talk about that one wes craven movie (laughs) i will say though just just sidebar here speaking of dracula 2000 there was a very interesting element to the part of the story where they decide where they told the i where they came up with the idea that like dracula was actually like the like judas iscariot and yeah that was interesting and that's why he hated religious iconography and silver and because he hanged himself as the sun came up he was doomed to live forever in darkness i did like that element of it the rest of the movie dumpster fire that part a lot of fun moving on so (laughs) A lot of people have tried to do a lot of things with Dracula. 
to various measures of success. I think that one of the things that made this work so well is if you had just, if you had called this last voyage of the Mimi <laughs> and just had all of this happening and you never said Dracula, this movie's still spectacular. Mm-hmm. What's amazing about this is it didn't have to lean on the fact that Dracula was the villain that Dracula was the monster. It didn't need that. We got a very good movie that as soon as you said it, the light came on and all of the pieces fell into place. That's alien with a vampire. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and so you could have, you could have just named this, you could have named this guy, anything you could have named the ship, anything. And we the last still, voyage of the Nostromo. There we go. Yeah. And you still end up with, a spectacular movie. One of the things that this does really well is it goes back. It, it, it's, it's this great amalgamation of slasher and monster movie. Yeah. And I think that it never that, feels like either. Right. And you, you, the whole time, the entire time I was watching this movie, I'm sitting here with my roommate and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's this new Dracula movie. So it's going to be like a monster movie or whatever. And it starts and I'm like, okay, this is like really tense. This is, this is slashery. And then like he starts doing stuff. I'm like, okay, movie monster. And then it's like, here's the plan for how we're going to beat him. And I'm like, ah, fuck, sla- you know, slashery. And you're just, you're just back and forth the whole time. And it never fully feels like either one while simultaneously always feeling like both, mm-hmm. which is very, very cool. I loved that. This movie was not dedicated to being one particular thing. It didn't rely on one particular type of scare. The story that we got here was so good because we knew where it began and where it ended. As as soon as it started, you know, this thing ends with this ship on the rock. I mean, it's called Last Voyage of the Demeter. Obviously, the Demeter does not make it, right? Right. It starts with the Demeter crashed on the rocks. Okay, well, now, I, like you said, now I just want to know how we get there. Because when it's starting, all of these guys are seasoned deckhands. You know, uh, you know, this is a captain who's been doing this for a long time with a first mate who, you know, they've got that chemistry. They know each other. How does a ship like this end up crashed on rocks? And so instead of just watching it for, for the kills or watching it just to kind of see, you know, because ultimately, yes, we know Dracula ends up in London. But you're watching it saying, okay, well, now now are they, are they going to crash now? Okay, no, we get another night. So you're always on the edge of your seat. Is this the mm-hmm. last night? Is this the last night? How many is he going to get tonight? And then they get to that rationing scene and you're like, oh, shit. Not only does that make sense character-wise, that's also just a great plot device to keep right. this thing going. Because the very first version of him that we get when he can kind of just barely crawl across the deck. Yeah. That guy's not taking out everybody in one night, but by the time he takes out the cook um, on the lifeboat, like he could have swept through that ship. The rest just in that one yeah. night. He was, he was good. Then he was aces at that point. He absolutely could have taken everybody out, but then they did such a good job of using little lines in the movie that made salient plot points. He's rationing the fact that as the captain goes crazy, he, uh, he starts, he, he's, he's just kind of rambling about how important the log book is. Mm-hmm. And now you're going, okay, well now it makes sense that that would be a chapter in the book. Now it makes sense that this is an important part. And we have all this information because that's all this guy has left. So I loved all of that. 
One thing I was talking earlier about moments that made me audibly gasp. Not only did Dracula straight take out a kid. I mean, yeah. card, like cardinal sin, right? Like, but then they, then they go, okay, well, maybe he's going to make it. They start giving him the infusions and stuff like that. Then he dies. You're like, oh shit, the kid dies. But then they go one step further and they make us watch him die again. Again. Not only did they kill a kid for this movie, but they made us watch him die twice. And they also killed the dog. <laughs> and they killed the dog. Yeah. yeah. They were coming for necks when they made this movie. They, nobody left safe. Um, yeah. No so, punches pulled. Yeah. they. I, I loved so many of those things. I loved the effects of, I love the way that they showed the vampires bursting into flames. I love the fact that it was, this took place in an era with a group of people where Dracula and vampires weren't common knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. That's the trope now is you make a vampire movie because everybody knows what vampires are, you know? And so it's like, Oh, are you a vampire? No, they don't know that word. And they, if yeah. I'm, I may be wrong, but I don't think they ever actually used that word in the movie. I was trying nope. to keep track. They never actually used it. And so the man's tied to the post and it burns, it burns. Oh, okay. He needs some water. And then that shot where you see the sun start to peel across the deck of the ship and he's getting louder and they're not putting any of it together. Right. Because this is all new to them. And then it's not just like a, ah, and then he burst into flame that was a brutal immolation of a human body <laughs> when that sunlight hits him and then they do it to a kid I, I just i loved how they wanted to do so much but it was all still so tight every single thing that happened in the story of this movie felt necessary and felt like it was furthering the movie none of it seemed like look at this cool way we found we came up with to kill somebody every single thing they did progressed the story and you weren't it wasn't just like line of exposition wait around for a murder every single thing kept you so engrossed in this movie and that is something that we cannot give the story of this movie enough credit for it you you can't and i think to, to go with that the fact that this is such a tight little story this movie was not concerned with creating some sort of shared universe it wasn't concerned with its sequel it wasn't concerned with anything other than being there wasn't anybody just like story. sitting around reading a newspaper that talked about some man that was brought back to life by a mad scientist <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, there's there's something magical about watching a movie and knowing that it has a beginning and an end and being like, fuck, that was great. I want to watch it again. Yeah. Instead of thinking what's going to happen next, because I, I, I'll be honest with you. Is it possible that they set up a sequel with Clemens hunting Dracula? Sure. You can see it that way. That's not the way I took this. The way I took this is that Clemens is unsuccessful in ever finding Dracula because we know how that ends. Right. We know, we, we know that it's Abraham Van Helsing that finds him and kills him. That's it. That's the end of that story. I hope that Clemens goes on to be some great doctor and do some great thing and that he actually gets the life that he worked so hard for. 
But because we're not concerned with the next chapter in the story, with what's going to connect with it, like, oh, are they going to bring Frankenstein in? Are they going to bring the creature from the Black Lagoon in? No, motherfucker. They just told you a great fucking story. Yes. Watch it again. <laughs> and then watch it again. Like, that's that's all this thing wants to do is it just wants to be a good movie. And when you're concerned with having a good beginning, a good middle, and a good end, what a fucking novel concept. You end up being a great movie. Right. So, uh, and, and to, to go along with the great story, we've got uh, a section we're calling crew members and stowaways. Um, we've, we've got economy of story, economy of setting. We've got economy of characters. Um, you know, we've got like just a little more than a handful of characters here. Is there anyone that to you stood out? And I I know that it's going to be difficult to keep it to just a few people because like you could literally spend, we, we could spend the entire show just saying, okay, so here's the first person and yeah. here's the next person. And then we're talking about every fucking character. So um, just, just a few. Okay. Look, I'm going to take the fact that I get this one first and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the meatball here and I'm knocking this thing out of the park. Corey Hawkins as Simmons. Fuck yes. Corey Hawkins is a fucking gem. Corey Hawkins is a man who, for the foreseeable future, I am going to be upset whenever I watch a movie that Corey Hawkins is not cast in. Yeah. Corey Hawkins, I thought, was incredible and in straight out of Compton. Uh, was one of the first mm -hmm. times when I really kind of paid attention to who he was. and But in this movie, he was incredible. Because he was a guy... Simmons is this man who has every reason in the world to put himself in, in a position to hold himself to a higher esteem than everybody else on this ship. Right. What are these? These mm -hmm. are a bunch, you know, these are a bunch of cell swords essentially who, who get picked up for ships. This is just a bunch of guys who go from port to port and, you know, bang whores and drink. And I'm not just saying mm -hmm. that that's literally what they talk about. Right. Right. So he has every reason to put himself apart from these guys. But that's not what he does. He engrosses himself in this because he's going to make his way. And when we finally get his, you know, that that little bit of backstory about him, they did such a good job. And Corey Hawkins delivered that little monologue about going to Romania to be the, the royal doctor and all of that. And that that fucking line where he was like, uh, he said something to the 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 uh, the tune of apparently news of my ability traveled fast, but news of my skin color did not. That's a great line. It was so fucking good. And there's just such there's there's such a, a just a purity to the way that Corey Hawkins plays this role. He he just he's a doctor. He sees a woman who's hurt. He's going to do whatever it takes to save her life. If it's mm -hmm. filling her with his own blood, that's what he's going to do every day. If it's cutting how much food he gets in half, that's what he's going to do because he's taking his oath. He's going to do his thing. And all the while never pops off at the mouth to any of these guys that have done nothing but run him down from day one unless they keep going. He meets the cook. Oh, yeah. No, do you, you know who St. Nicholas is? Oh, patron saint of sailors. Yeah. Because later on, he's like, I believe in science facts and St. Nicholas. So the, so the cook will feed me, right? <laughs> he, he, he 
he gets along with these guys. And it's, and I mean, it's, it's 10, 15 minutes into the voyage for one of them's like, Oh, look at that darky doctor over there. You right. know, like, and he still holds his head up. He still sits there and eats with them. And there's, there's just such, there's such an aplomb about the way that Corey Hawkins carried himself through this role and created the role of Simmons as something that was above any type of great man that I think I'm ever going to be right. <laughs> but also I felt relatable to him and I was like, maybe yeah. I could have a beer with this guy. He just did such an amazing job with the whole thing. And he, whenever he was, whenever it was something just dramatic was happening. There was so much just emotion in everything he did. He was, he has something that I feel like Mark Ruffalo does very well, which is when he's supposed to be soft and fluffy, he does that and it makes a lot of sense. But then when he has those transitions into being angry or being upset it's always believable like i'd never felt out of character when he would swing from one side to the other because it always made sense for what was happening in the movie and his progression of being upset made so much sense i was so thoroughly impressed with this guy i i went and looked and he's actually like he's a tony award winner as well yeah like i just this guy's uh, like, legit <laughs> yeah like this this guy is just he's doing the damn thing and so i think that he was so incredibly perfectly cast in this um that i that he was the one i had to take first i'll kick it back over to you and we'll see how many we go through but i'm not gonna sit here and stomp on too many of them right away oh okay so yeah you know i kind of like this Let, let's go one and one um i feel like the first person i need to talk about um, and as soon as I saw him, I was like, is that this guy? And it was. And I'm so happy that we finally got to see him in a substantial role because this is this is an actor that we've seen uh, like going, at least for me, going way back to 2008. This is a guy who I was like, that's a great fucking role. And it's David uh, Datsmalakian yes. who played Wojciech. Um this is a guy that back in the dark night when he had that very small role in the dark night, I was like, that's a fucking actor because he moved me as like this insane person that the Joker manipulates and turns into one of his minions. And every time that I've seen him, he does something special whether it's in the dark night or it's in Oppenheimer or in suicide squad, like this guy is someone who is always doing something. Yeah. Dude's got range with, 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 with his character, Wh whatever it is that he's got in front of him, he's doing something. And he did a lot here. And I was really impressed by him from the very first interaction that he has with Clemens where like he takes his hands and he looks at him and he says, you know, we don't need passengers. We need you know, crewmen. We need crewmen. Th to me, that was like this perfect moment where it's like, you know, because it's like, okay, we know the time frame that this is taking place. And the reason why you're not getting on the ship is not because of the color of your skin. It's right. because we can't use you, or at least that's what his mind is telling him. And Clemens is appealing to his sense of logic. He's like, no, man, 
you can lose your charts and you can lose your compass, but you can't lose your knowledge of astrology. You can. And and so that's what what ends up getting him on that ship is that like he's. Yeah, Captain Elliot sees him and he saves Toby. But he had already made a little mark for himself when he when he appealed to their sense of logic instead of to their perceived exhaustion. Right. Right. Um, There's there's a real, I think, emotional connection between him and um, shit. What's the actor's name? Uh, Liam Liam Cunningham. Cunningham. There's there's something between the two of them that um there's there's a bond there there's a brotherhood there um and and we see that develop between him and clemens we clearly see it between him and uh abrams and petrovsky and 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 all the and olgarin and all the other crew members but there is there's something there and it can't possibly be that every other actor pulled his own weight and his weight in right. all those interactions there's there's a common thread there and that's that he just fucking delivered every single scene he never overacted he he always did exactly what he needed to do there so i'll, I'll kick it back to you yeah um the, also just uh one last thing about david De- uh david das malkian uh probably massacred that uh he also <laughs> had a role in a notable miss for us that we're gonna have to from 2023 we're gonna have to go back and do at some point this year in the boogeyman uh um, yeah and so uh so we'll add that one to the list but uh so you know so you're, you're going first mate then i i'm gonna go captain as soon as it starts to go mother fuck that's the onion night like yeah <laughs> yeah i heard the voice i was like it's a fucking onion night yeah i was like this is so great right and so we get Liam Cunningham in this role of Captain Elliot, and he is he did such a great job of not the not the weathered I don't care about anything sea mm-hmm. captain, right? We he we get the guy who's like he's this he's he's, he's he wanted one last shot, right? And then he, he's going to turn the boat over. It's you, you never never tell people that you're retiring in three days if you're a cop. Never tell anybody this is your last journey if you're a, if you're a boat captain. I, I think that those are pretty great rules when it comes to being in a movie. Yeah. So, but it was it was so cool because what was really interesting is the way that he interacted with Toby was very reminiscent of how he interacted with the girl that had grayscale from Game of Thrones. It's been a while. I don't remember yeah. the exact name. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's great because you look at him and he looks like old weathered sea captain, right? Big beard, and he just dude looks like he's been through it. And then as soon as you start talking, as soon as he starts talking, you're like, mm-hmm, yes, please keep talking to me because this is all I want to do is listen to you listen. Yeah. and I want you to tell me stories. And he was so great in that. So it was it was awesome to see him in a featured role. But for me, that so he watches his grandson, he, you know, kind of watches him die. Then he actually watches him die. But that fucking scene, man, where they're getting ready to push him off into the water. Wait, I saw, I saw him move. I saw him move. Captain, yeah. there is no breath in this boy's body. There is no life in his eyes. He's dead. And he, no, I saw him move and he slams him out of the way and then rips that bag open. And he catches his grandson catches fire in the sunlight in his arms. And he's panicking. And I went back and I rewatched that scene today because I wanted to see 
And on rewatching, it looks like he very purposefully does not let go until they physically separate them. Yeah. It, it, it looks like he was willing to stand there and burn with him, which mm-hmm. then makes sense because then the progression of his character is he goes crazy and he's making sure everything is in these logs because he knows all hope is lost at that moment. Because even if they do manage to land, he's got nothing left. Like he right. says later, sure, I could go to London. What's there for me? And so, you know, because he his his one job was to not let his grandson fall in love with the sea. And this wasn't going to be his life. And now it was not only his life, but it was the entirety of his life that was cut painfully short. And so he even if even if the boat had survived, he knew there was nothing left. But what mattered was that people knew this story. And he he's, you know, kind of panicking about the logs. And then that fucking scene ends with him realizing Dracula's in his head. And he's got the gun and he's pointing it at Simmons and he's pointing it at Anna. And you're sitting there wondering if he's going to turn it on himself. Because, oh, I think I think it's Anna says he's he's or no, he says he's behind my own eyeballs. Yeah, is is what he says. He says he talks to me. He's behind my own eyeballs. And so you're watching this man who's obviously done with reality at this point. And you, and I, I kept waiting for him to turn that gun on himself. And I'm so glad he didn't, but I really thought that's what was going to happen. And it was just, it's because I saw it in him, how much he had lost without having to use those words, without having to specifically say, I've lost everything, or this was my one job. He acted all of that out, and it came through so clearly. And it was just so cool to see, because like I said, he was very Onion Knight with the start, but that Mm -hmm. progression of his character that we got was something that we didn't get out of him in Game of Thrones. And honestly, top of my head, I can't think of anything else he's done in, but he's done. But what we got from him here was wild, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you, you mentioned him because n- now I get to talk about someone else because he was going to be my <laughs> my second. Um, and, man, I'm torn. Because um, we talked about Woody Norman when we did Cobweb. Right. But he was so fucking good. <laughs> he was so good. Um, there's there's a magic to that kid i i don't know um i mean because he's he's young you know so like how many acting lessons could he have possibly taken right you know like the the kid's 13 years old yes you know uh, when, when he's making this he's 13 years old you know he's he's 14 now fuck man like i i i see him and I see my own son. And, and I think I said that in, in cobweb. Um, I, I don't think there's too much of a, like a physical resemblance there. It's just, there, there's something it, there's a, there's a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's some sort of, I don't want to call it a weakness, but there's, there's a, a, a realness to him. He brings yeah. a little bit of himself to every character that that he plays, at least the two characters I've seen him play. Um, and I actually I cried when um when the onion knight 
grabs him by the hands and, and and he he starts to burn with him like there was there was something there because specifically there was that scene with Olgarin where he says i hear everything and mm-hmm. and i and, and i remember things they're trapped in there somewhere so it's not just that like this is one of dracula's minions that is now burning it's like that's toby yeah that's toby and he desperately wants to be with his father at that moment because he doesn't attack him he doesn't he, he doesn't really attack him if if you go and you rewatch the scene he reaches out for him mm-hmm. he reaches out for his father Grand, you know, grandfather this, uh, grandfather yeah yeah he reaches out for his grandfather and like that what would you do if you had just woken up from death and you knew that that's what it was and there's an opportunity to reach out for life you would reach out for that and there's there's something there and i know that he's covered in makeup and in, in in computer effects and all that when when they do this but there is something there 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 was something that clicked with me and i was like man that's a really moving moment and um i mean maybe it was just that i had had way too many margaritas <laughs> it happens it happens but i i i sat on my couch and cried in the darkness yeah. by myself at, at, and it was it was woody norman you know, it was it was Woody Norman, and yeah, it was Liam Cunningham. You know, it was it, it was both of them. But there's there's a there's a magic to that kid. I really hope he continues to to make movies and doesn't become disillusioned with the movie industry. That he's not mistreated by someone. That he continues to go out there and he continues to act. And selfishly, I want him to keep doing it in horror movies because I want to keep talking about this kid. Yeah, he's just fucking um, awesome. You need to watch Come On, Come On with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, oh okay i mean that one came out two or three years ago and he was nominated for a bafta and i mean he's Mm. 13 14 now and that came out two years ago and and not and like a best supporting actor bafta yeah i I mean at 11 12 years old so um yeah you need to watch it spectacular movie uh so there is one uh glaring character that we need to get to as we tend to do with your slashes and your monster movies so in a Mm -hmm. section that we're calling the dragon we need to discuss this version of Dracula. We, we've talked a little bit about different pieces of it and what makes this Dracula unique, what makes it different, what makes it worth watching. So take us through the dragon, Dave, through, through Dracula here. One of the things that I think um, many movies and um, because of that, the audience in general, like don't focus on is that Dracula is a shapeshifter. Right. And that's something that um, I think this movie kind of gets at because there's times where like his face looks different mm-hmm. and that's purposeful. That's not a uh, it's not a design flaw. It's not that like, oh, man, the special effects are no good. You know, they didn't nail the look. Um, no, they did nail the look. And it's that he physically changes. Uh, in fact, the alternate opening to this movie was to like the camera swings onto the Demeter and we see Captain Elliot strapped still to uh, to the ship. And then we see a wolf and the wolf jumps off the ship and runs into London. And, and I think that that's one of those things that most movies kind of don't really go into that Dracula is a shapeshifter, that this isn't just 
a uh, a man who like drinks blood. It's not a man who is a bat. It's a shapeshifter. Like he physically changes his form. So that's something that I think they got at here. That like there's like it's not that he's animalistic. Like he is something else. Right. This is this is something like supernatural beyond anything that that we have seen in the movies before because we have seen the transformation from like the weakling to the very powerful vampire in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think that they did a really great job of showing us this this weak feeble man when we first see Gary Oldman and then you know this sophisticated suave guy that we see in London is totally different. Right. And that's that's great to see that transformation. But the shifting to me this is this is really the movie where we get to see this because we've seen the bad thing before mm -hmm. and uh it's been done to varying levels of success but this is like man it, that shot towards the end of the movie when it's just clemens and him and he's standing on the captain's quarters yes. and the lightning strikes and he spreads his wings out and it's like, where the fuck did these things come from? Because we've heard the flapping of the wings and we've seen little things here and there. But it's like, no, man, like his entire body's a bat wing. Yes. And and he's standing on these like goat legs. It's it, this is like they, they call him the dragon. You know, they call him the devil. And he looks like it. He looks like all those things. And uh, in fact, if you're watching live, that's what we have on the background here is that image of that version of dracula there is something utterly sinister here and i think that to some degree every actor who has ever played dracula has really gotten at some part of dracula really well whether it's lugosi or it's christopher lee or uh fuck even luke evans i think did something good with yeah. dracula um but what javier Bortet did with this is like because it, this is not a cgi dracula there is cgi added onto it as a layer to help sell the uh the costume but what Botet did with this it, fuck man it fucked me up when i first saw the dracula i was like this is what i've been wanting because it's a little bit of Count Orlock and it's a little bit of the Bela Lugosi Dracula and it's even a little bit Salem's Lot. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit everything. Definitely Salem's comes, Lot vibes. It, 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 yeah, yeah, especially Salem's Lot. It comes together into this one unique looking thing that is somehow exactly what I imagined the first time I read Dracula and somehow like nothing I've ever imagined before. There's yeah, there's there, there's there's something here. There's something magical here. And the way that he mocks them is Dude, that's exactly I think the thing that is most about. sinister. So I, I'll let you talk about it. Go ahead. Oh, so that when, when as, as he's as he's stalking them and it mm -hmm. and you realize like outside of that first one where he just kind of crawls across and slashes the dude's throat mm -hmm. and then just, you know, just eats him just ravenously. 
when it starts to become a game to him and he's and he's crawling at Ogar and he's oh god please please don't no. yeah please yeah. no yeah that shit was wild when the the when the the when the chef is rowing away and he's like flying out to him basically quoting scripture back at him yeah right yes sinister is the absolute word for that i uh, it was it was so good once I went and looked and I saw and I looked up this guy, um, Javier, but uh, how do you how do you pronounce his last name? Javier Botet. Botet. Um, mm. This guy is the Spanish Doug Jones. He is. Yeah, <laughs> like, he was. I mean, he has been he's, he was in Mama. He was in Wreck. He was in The Mummy. And he is the dude that's always underneath all the creature makeup. Yeah. I, this guy is absolutely the Spanish Doug Jones. And the way that he carried himself once he was in that final scene where he could stand that was intimidating right there that was that moment where you were like okay yeah fuck this is dracula you know he he may not look like any version of dracula until this point you know but that's him this is i have no problem with the fact that you know yeah maybe he's a mix up of a of a bunch of different things but in that that moment when he stood there and he presented himself, I was like, yes, this guy is Dracula. He was so terrifying in the fact that, you know, we, 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 when you think about your, your Gary Oldman's right. Or your Bella Lugosi's or your Christopher Lee's even um, for at certain times, while Christopher Lee was fucking horrifying as Dracula. You always got, you, you always had those moments where he was suave. Right, where he did hypnotize people and stuff like that. This was just a monster who was smart, who sometimes liked playing with his food. And yeah. and and it was it was horrifying. I honestly think this is the scariest version of Dracula that we might have ever gotten because it was just terrifying the way that he messed with them, the picking them off one by one, the being smart enough to ration them, all of those things, seeing the marks all over Anna's body. Yeah. And knowing that he transported her just to be food and that, that this is what he was doing to her. You know, we're so used to just the two, two uh, fang marks, right? No, he, he does the thing where he like carves into them and he marks them and he makes him, he makes them his, you know, we get those moments where he's enjoying this. This is a fucking game for him. He's not trying to bang any of them. He's not just <laughs> trying to to nourish himself. There reaches a point where it's like, I am Dracula. I am better than you. I am a god. You are mortals. And now I'm going to have some fun because I'm at strength. And all of these things just equated to... I honestly believe, like I said, the scariest version of Dracula that we've had on film to this point. I I, I firmly believe that. Um, and I like the sophisticated, the suave, debonair yeah. Dracula that we get with with Lee and 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 with Lugosi. I think that um, thematically, there's a really good reason why that version of Dracula exists because it, it gets at my favorite aspect of of dracula which is the 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 xenophobia of right. of dracula um but when we're talking about dracula as a monster um 
I think that th- this is definitely the scariest that we've ever seen him. And, yeah. and, and I think that that, that leans into uh, the last section that we're going to talk about before we get into rating this movie, which is filmmaking. Uh, because a lot of that goes back to the imagining of Dracula as a monster, very much like the xenomorph in, in Alien. It's something that is just, you know, how do we make you as the audience afraid of this thing? You know, because in Alien, we had seen countless aliens before. How do you right. make the audience afraid of something that they that they know? With that, there's all the other stuff that goes along with it. So um, whether it is from the cinematography, the lighting, the music, the art design, character design, what stood out to you? Um, so... This whenever we do filmmaking, I'm always at this weird uh, crossroads, right? Because I am when I, I'm 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 somebody who's never actually like like I don't know the terms for things and stuff like that, right? But uh, as I was watching this, and it was funny because uh, before we went on air, Dave said, "Hey, I'm going to create a category just for filmmaking." I was like, "Great," because I had a moment where I really hoped that that would happen mm-hmm. because. I'm one of those guys. I watch a movie. I'm like, wow, that was pretty. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's that's where I walk away. I'm like, yeah, that was gorgeous. I love the way they did a couple of really cool things. So, in my naivete, I will say that that some of the things that I, you know, I can definitely put the right words to here are the lighting of this thing. Whenever they're below yeah. decks on the ship, the first time when it really punched me how fucking good this thing was shot is when Simmons is down investigating the cargo hold with just the one lantern. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you, you see, and they, they just did such a good job of creating that lantern as the only light source. So you never felt like you could see anything that Simmons couldn't, you were right there with him. You didn't know what he was going to find. You kind of see a pile, but you don't know that it's, dirt until he knows that it's dirt right so whenever they're below decks on the ship when uh toby locks himself in the captain's quarters yeah and they're looking through the hole and you get this great kind of pov where the camera is shifting as they shift trying to find him things like that that i'm sure there are technical terms for that i don't know but all of those things that kept you so engrossed in this movie were wild I just, I, I loved it. As soon, and one of the very first times, like the ship is coming across and you can tell it's like, okay, obviously there were times they used a model. There were times that were CGI, but it just, it looked so damn good. Just mm-hmm. slicing through those waves. And there's a shot in this movie that is not meant to be one of the scariest shots, but to me was one of the scariest shots. It was strictly just CGI and, and film work. So we talk a lot about horror movies here and a lot of things that scare me when it comes to seeing things on screen that are always going to make it to where I can't breathe a ship in the middle of the ocean surrounded by waves that are bigger than said ship is always going to completely remove my ability to breathe rogue waves and open ocean waves terrify the shit out of me and they do this great scene where you just kind of see everything on the boat start to shift yeah over like this so you know something's going clemens falls out of his bed yeah clemens falls out of his bed and then all of a sudden they cut to outside the ship and it's 
fucking sideways like a low rider on this wave that's two to three times as big as the whole fucking Demeter. Was that supposed to be one of the scariest scenes in the movie? No. Did it make me gasp when it finally went away and I realized I hadn't been breathing for 40 seconds? Yes. They did so many things that were just slightly scary to amazingly scary, and they all come down to the way the movie was shot. I'm going to disagree with you ever so slightly because I think that that was terrifying. Okay. And and I think that it was intentionally terrifying because one of the things that we get in the novel is that Dracula isn't only a shapeshifter, but he has some unexplainable control over the natural world too, because he has control over animals. Right. And if he has control over other living things, the entire world is alive. Right. So why not fog? Why not waves? To me, that was almost an extension of his powers where it's like, yeah, Dracula is ensuring that this ship is going to arrive in England, but no one of you will. Right. So it, I, I think it was terrifying the way that that okay. was done. Fantastic. Glad I'm not um, alone on that one. Yeah. No. Not. Not at all. Not at all. Um, there's a great special feature in the 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 Blu-ray or the you know wherever you watch this. If you if you purchase the movie, it'll come with it, and it's all about the special effects that were done here. Um, because for I think I'm pretty good at figuring out practical special effects like that are done in front of the camera and computer effects that are done in post-production. Right. I couldn't for the life of me figure out what was practical special effects and what was computer special effects. I simply couldn't. Yeah. Um, There were times where I was like, I'm almost certain that that is added in post. But then I was like, man, but, I'm not so sure now. Um, And there was a, I'm going to call it a perfect melding of practical special effects and computer special effects happening here. And I think that this is how you hearken back to your Tom Savini's and your Stan Winston's and all of the, uh, the, your Carlo Rambaldi's, all of those special effects masters of the seventies and the eighties and updated for today because i think if today if uh these guys were still making movies they would do it this way where whatever it is that they could do with practical special effects they would and whatever needed to be um bolstered with some computer graphics they would do it that way too because if you look at what special effects is it's always progressing and it's always going with uh the right tool for that job it's not always relying on the same tool because if you over rely on cgi then you're not really doing good special effects either but if cgi is the only thing that can do this or it can do it much more easily than something else and it'll still look good you won't sacrifice anything then you're doing great the um the the dummies that they made for this it's really difficult to tell when it was a dummy and when it was prosthetics put on an actor. Right. 
And there's lots of behind the scenes footage that shows you the actors standing next to their dummies. And it's like, I can't fucking, the only reason I know that that's the actor and that's the dummies because that one's talking and the other one is <laughs> it's, it's that fucking good. It is insane to me what they did with practical special effects here. And it's insane to me what they did with CGI. Because when you consider the fact that this movie had a budget of, I think it was like 40, uh, $40 million, which is not in like yep. a, a small amount of money by any means, but it's also a far cry from the like hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent on, on some of these movies. Right. Um, you know, your star Wars and your Marvel and stuff like that. I didn't know when it was real water. And when it was computer water. Correct. And, yeah. and I think that that's one of those things where it's like you can always tell that it's computer water. Or yeah. I didn't know when it was the real ship because they built an actual ship. They, awesome. It was the, the outside. They didn't build right. the, the inside on that ship, but they did build a one-to-one -one scale interior of the ship. <laughs> so, uh, like, there's an insane amount of, like, detail that went into this thing because when they're on the deck of the ship that is a ship from aft to stern that's, that's amazing ship. yeah it is and then when they're inside when they're in the cargo hold that is the entire cargo hold it's not sections that they built it's not a hallway that leads to like nothing and then they edit it with something else no these people are walking from one end of the ship to the other it's insane to me what they did and that level of interaction with the environment that immersion in the environment has to help the actor and in helping the actor helps the director helps the editor helps everyone and ultimately translates to us the audience there's a reason why this thing feels so claustrophobic and it's because they are actually inside of a ship that they built it's it's insane to me and then you think about okay so what shots did they like kind of build up with cgi right i don't fucking know yeah i don't yeah. know it's it's impossible to tell i had that exact same thought at, at one point where i was like wait is that is that really happen? i don't you know like but there, there were some there, they also did some some uh, a couple of really cool things the one that sticks out that i felt like was something that was really original when he grabs anna and wraps her in his wings mm -hmm. and you can cut you can see like her silhouetted and like her face pressing through and it and it, it that's one of those moments where you're like oh shit they actually built like this giant bat wing right and this this yeah. girl pushed her face into it but it also it it removes those elements of it being a, a cartoony type transformation right it's mm -hmm. not what we do in the shadows where they just yell bat and you get this, this right. funny little thing kind of <laughs> flapping away it's like no it has those leathery weird wings that a bat has you know so i loved like that was that was so freaky when he grabbed her and you just see her face pressing as she's struggling against it but i did i had that thought so many times where i was like is that is that boat actually going that's what i'm talking about like when it first went through the water i was like is yeah they actually film about going through the, i'm not sure like and and then going <laughs> back through and looking at a couple scenes today i was like still don't know still yeah. do not know it's it, it's insane what they did and then on on top of that uh you mentioned the lighting the lighting is always perfect yes there's there's frames of this where like i would pause it and just look at the frame yeah. it was it, it was as beautiful as any impressionist painting i've ever seen 
it, it's gorgeous, gorgeous the way that this movie is shot. But on top of that, it also occasionally and often, not just occasionally, looks like the gothic horror movies of Universal Studios and Hammer Horror. Yep. Uh, to me, it, I felt sometimes like I was watching a Hammer movie because the colors are so beautiful and yet the atmosphere is so grimy and so dim that I couldn't help but feel like Dracula had turned this into his castle. Yeah, it, it it's it, to me, this this movie beyond all the other praise that we've done here as a feat of filmmaking. I think it's um, it's terrible. It's a tragedy that this movie didn't only not make its budget back, but was a bomb. Yeah, I mean, it, made, it made less than 50 percent of its budget back. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's sad. And I think it, it, it says a lot about the movie going audience today. Um, and here I am saying this and I didn't go see it in theaters. Correct. I waited, I waited for it to, to come out on digital and I bought it. But um, I think that when we continue to like support the same kind of movie over and over and over again, and we don't give these movies the shot that they deserve and the shot that they need we stifle the creativity of directors and writers and, and and artists in the movie industry because quite frankly we need more movies like this because there's there's not i can't say a single thing about this movie that i would say yeah you know like me as just a, a critic Right. Because ultimately, that's what we are. We're right. movies. Right. I, as a critic, I would change this. I wouldn't change a fucking thing about this movie. Well, since you're talking about whether or not you would change anything about it, I guess it's time we get to that final part. And that is, of course, when we rate the movie. So we're going to get into the rating system here. And if you're new to the show or 2024, you just need a reminder. Here at Shiver, we never rate a movie against another one. So, yes, we've talked about Bram Stoker, Christopher Lee. Uh, you know, we've done everything but mention. Uh, uh, Dracula dead and loving it, right? So <laughs> we're not comparing it to any of those. We are just looking at Last Voyage of the Demeter as it stands, as its own movie. So in order to in order to keep that up, for every movie that we rate, we create a unique rating system. And after a little bit of discussion, we decided that what makes the most sense, because ultimately the records are what people are going to read and the records are what people are going to remember. So Dave, out of a possible five Captain's Logs, what do you give Last Voyage of the Demeter? Um, I never do this for a new movie, but I'm gold starring it. This is a six. This this is not just perfect. It's past perfect. It's better than perfect. It's um, I I want to watch it right now. Yeah, like I'm I'm talking about the movie, and I'm like I should shut the fuck up and just watch this movie again. Yeah, look, I'm we're gonna we're gonna come out of the gate in 2024 just swinging for the fences because I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. There is not. I'm going. I'm going six out of five captain's logs there's there is nothing they could have done that would have made this movie better it was perfectly cast it was perfectly shot it told a tight and concise story that had no downtime for two hours mm -hmm. it had moments that made me gasp it had moments that made me stop breathing it had some funny scenes it had everything this movie is so 
perfectly made that I'm right there with you in the fact that it is criminal that that this thing is I, I, I hope that as 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 it's released on platforms and things like that where people are gonna put more money into it, we eventually start to see that number of how much it's making. Yeah double triple and it and it gets back to its budget and and i'm not just saying that because i want another one i'm saying that because i want more people to see this this seems like the type of movie where when it does hit some sort of streaming service it's going to fly to the top of their charts this is going to be the thing that when people can for free access it at uh at will then it's going to be one that a lot more people are going to be talking about. And I'm right there with you. No, I didn't go see it in theaters. I don't go see much in theaters anymore. Right. It is it is a flaw. But I think that this movie did absolutely everything, not just well, but spectacularly. So yeah, I, I too am coming in, out of the gate and we're just going to call it a consensus. Shiver Pod, Gold Star. This is a six out of five captain's logs. There's no arguing with it. There's nothing I would change about this movie. Yeah. And and if for whatever reason, this is the first episode of Shiver you listen to uh, or watch and you're like, oh, well, these assholes are just giving perfect scores to anything. Uh, the first episode of season four. So the first episode we did last year was Candyman. <laughs> and uh, you can go back and listen to that episode and see the score that we gave it. The new it, one. Yeah, the the new one, yes, uh, but then not, not the or 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 if you want to reaffirm, we're thinking that you you're thinking that we're just assholes <laughs> who love everything. Go back and listen to the episode where we watched the original Candyman. Yeah, you can find all of them wherever you find your podcasts. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify. There's a bunch of others that we're on, and I can just never think to name. We're on Google Casts and a handful of others. So make Amazon. Sure you check- yeah, we're on Amazon yeah. as well. So make sure you check those out. If you like the show, drop us a review. Give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you head to shiverpod.com, you can catch links to all of those places where you can listen to us, as well as links to our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Instagram is where we are the most active. It's where we have the most fan interactions. If you are one of the people who is watching us for the first time live tonight, on our Instagram live, feel free to drop us a DM. Let us know how that went. If there was any lag, if there's anything we need to fix, if I need to announce it a little bit sooner, I'm just glad I was able to get that going because it is a lot more complicated than broadcasting <laughs> to these other services. So uh, I'm happy that we got that going. Also on shiverpod.com, you can find links to our T public store. You can get a shirt with our awesome logo. If you're unfamiliar with what it looks like there, if you just want it bigger, that is our amazing logo. You can grab t-shirt with that. You can get some you can get a t-shirt with our amazing art as Dave of Dave and I as Frankenstein's monsters. You can mm-hmm. find all of that. Uh links to all of those at shiverpod.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram if you want to know what movies we'll be doing next. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>